Are you my guardian angel, or a wily devil, a fatal tempter? To your honor I entrust my destiny. So writes Tatiana in her famous letter to the man who has captured her heart. But does Eugene Onyegin return the sentiment? This is the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. I'm Naomi Baratera. Today we explore Eugene Onyegin with lecturer Dr. Harlow Robinson, a distinguished professor at Northeastern University and a specialist in Soviet and Russian cultural history. Here he discusses Tchaikovsky's beloved operatic adaptation of Pushkin's poetic tale and the musical devices that express the emotions and the story. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. Dobry vecher. So I imagine many of you have seen Evgeny Onegin, uh, Eugene Onegin. How many of you have seen this opera? <laughs> nearly, nearly everyone, which doesn't surprise me. I have to say it's, it's definitely in my top five uh, uh, operas of all time. And one of the earliest operas I actually ever saw, because uh, when I was going to Russia a lot, of course, it was often on the stage there, both at the Bolshoi and the Marinsky and just about everywhere else. And uh, not only that, but uh, the, uh, what it's based on, the marvelous poem by Pushkin, uh, is, of course, something that every student of Russian has to learn at some point or another, memorize some of the verses. How, how many of you have ever read the, uh, the novel in verse that this is based on? Yeah, do it sometime in the summer. <laughs> uh, there are some very good translations available now, even though it is written in verse, right? It's a, it's a novel in verse on the model of uh, Byron, right? Written by Pushkin in the um, 1830s. Uh, and if you know anything about Pushkin, of course, he had a short uh, life uh, cut short by a duel, of course. So. Uh, there's a strangely prophetic quality to what happens in this opera, in this opera between Onegin and his dear friend Lensky. Uh, Pushkin was actually also shot dead in a duel, uh, which was shot over the honor of his wife, uh, who was flirting with uh, a French diplomat. Uh, this was brought to Pushkin's attention, and he decided he had to defend his honor because that's what you did, you know. Uh, in those times. Uh, we know all about duels in America, Hamilton, right, of course. <laughs> uh, so dueling was very common in the upper classes in Russia, actually way up and through uh, until the end of the 19th century, even into the early 20th century. So many fascinating things to talk about uh, with this opera. Uh, what I want to do first is make a few kind of introductory remarks. Uh, then I want to talk about particularly the image of Tatiana, uh, who, of course, is central character really here, even though the opera is called Yevgeny Onegin, Eugene Onegin, like the poem. Uh, it's, you could argue who is really the central character here. Uh, and then I have a lot of different kind of clips to share with you, a couple on DVD and some sound clips, because I want to show you how this opera, of course, is extremely uh, international. Uh, it's been done everywhere in the world, very popular in Germany, for example. And uh, I have a, a clip later of uh, Fritz Wunderlich singing in German and also Lotte Lehmann singing it in, in German. And you know, it's funny uh, to remember that even here at the Met, Russian operas were generally not sung in Russian until relatively recently, uh, really a beginning around the 1970s, 1980s, was really only when the Met started to do operas in the Russian language. And there were times, actually, when the operas were even done in various languages, like one, uh, one singer would sing in French and one in German. And <laughs> uh, so you had this kind of casserole of languages. So all right, well, let me just, I want to say just a few things about Tchaikovsky's heroines, uh, not only Tatiana, and sort of where she fits into uh, Tchaikovsky. 
also, um, it's 140th anniversary, I was just thinking today, of, the, of when Tchaikovsky wrote this opera. Uh, he wrote it in 1877. The first performances in Moscow were in 1879. Now, of course, I think uh, Tchaikovsky's operas, we've seen almost all of them here at the Met now, which is quite amazing, uh, including even Iolanta just a few seasons ago, Mazeppa, of course, The Queen of Spades. Uh, we haven't seen Maid of Orleans at the Met, but it has been done elsewhere. It was done at the Bard Festival, actually 15 or 20 years ago, uh, the Maid of Orleans, Orleanskaya Dieva. Um, and three of his operas actually were based on Pushkin sources. Uh, Mazepa, which is a very complicated story about the history of Ukraine, <laughs> which actually is oddly relevant uh, these days, and about foreign invasion in Ukraine. That's really what uh, Mazepa is all about, right? And Maria, this young heroine who falls in love with a much older man with disastrous results for her. And of course, the Queen of Spades, uh, which is a repertory staple and also based on Pushkin on a short story in, in prose. So uh, three of Pushkin's, uh, of Tchaikovsky's operas are based on Pushkin. Pushkin, of course, supplied uh, many, many uh, composers with material for libretto in, uh, libretti in, in Russian opera, uh, going back to Glinka uh, and going onward. Um, and if you look at his heroines, of course, most of them are women who fall for inappropriate or inaccessible men. <laughs> uh, and if we include his uh, overture, Romeo and Juliet, of course, there's Juliet. The, and, Often, you know, Pushkin is called Russia's Shakespeare, <laughs> and uh, Tchaikovsky also had a great fondness for, for Shakespeare, like so many other Russian composers, including Shostakovich. So Juliet, Tatiana in Eugene Onegin, uh, Maria in Mazeppa, Lisa in The Queen of Spades. And Tatiana, of them, is the lone survivor, because the others all actually uh, die one way or another. Uh, Juliet and Lisa both commit suicide. Maria goes mad. Uh, maybe you saw the Mazeppa production here, right? Uh, a few years ago. Joan, of course, is executed. And um, a lot of uh, people who have written about Tchaikovsky have speculated, you know, why, of course, lots of operas, as we know, have heroines who die <laughs> unhappily. Uh, but um, there have been some attempts to explain this with with Tchaikovsky's own problems with his sexuality, his inability to find an appropriate partner for himself in his life. You probably all know of the story of his disastrous marriage to a woman that he really hardly knew. Uh, he basically felt like, well, I should get married because I'm in my late 30s and everybody's pressuring me to get married. He did, and they only lived together for a matter of weeks before he ran away from her. <laughs> Actually, he tried to commit suicide by uh, walking into the Moscow River. If you uh, remember, and then he went abroad to Europe, and his wife, the woman he married, actually did go mad eventually, too. So um, Tchaikovsky didn't really ever have uh, especially happy romantic relationships. Maybe that's why he was drawn to stories like this. I'm just, I don't think that's the entire explanation, but maybe it helps us to understand why psychologically he seems to penetrate so well to Tatiana's uh, suffering, as it were. Um, and Onegin, it seems, is particularly connected with Tchaikovsky's personal life. And the opera, like the novel, it is constructed in beautiful parallels. Everything's in twos, right? There are two letters. The letter that Tatiana writes at the beginning to Onegin, expressing her love for him after she's met him once. <laughs> uh, and the letter at the end that Onegin writes to Tatiana years later after he sees her at a ball and now she's a beautiful woman and he suddenly decides he is in love with her. So two letters, two sisters, of course, Tatiana and her sister, Olga. Olga is sort of the, and it's very specific in Pushkin, you know, Olga is the blonde and Tatiana is the brunette. <laughs> Tatiana's the dark one and Olga's the light one. Olga has this aria at the beginning, if you remember, where she says, well, I'm not really a very serious person. I'm kind of silly, and I don't really get you know, intellectual pursuits like you do. I don't like to read. <laughs> so 
they're very contrasted. And then, of course, there's Onegin and his friend Lenski. And remember, they're teenagers, <laughs> right? Uh, Lenski, particularly, he's supposed to be only about 17 or 18 years old, uh, the poet friend of Onegin, uh, which makes it kind of ironic when he has this great aria, perhaps one of the most famous arias from this opera, Kuda, Kuda, Vyudalidis, uh, before the duel. And he says, where did my youthful days go? Well, he's only 18. <laughs> so, uh, but, and you know, also the big difference though, and um, you're probably aware of this, the big difference between Pushkin and Tchaikovsky here. Pushkin in his novel, he's very ironic towards his characters. It's a very chatty narrator who's always intruding on the action. He laughs at his characters. He laughs at Onegin. He laughs at Tatiana. He's always sort of carrying on a, a, a conversation with the reader outside the action. All of that is missing, of course, in the opera, where the opera turns it into a much more serious uh, tragedy almost. Not quite a tragedy, but certainly darker than in the original Pushkin. Um, and we also, so we have two sisters, two letters, two couples, Olga and Lenski, and uh, Tatiana and Onegin. Uh, also, country to city. You know, we start in the countryside and we move at the end to uh, the great uh, uh, capital of St. Petersburg. There are two balls. There's one in the second act, this kind of uh, very rustic ball at the Lawrence house, you know, where the neighbors come and it's not very fashionable, but kind of fun and cozy. And then the very cold, sterile, but grand ball in St. Petersburg in, in Act Three. So everything is kind of uh, structured in, in twos and pairs. And that gives a really wonderful unity to, to the opera. The novel has eight chapters. The opera has three acts in seven scenes. The first act is by far the longest. It has three scenes. Act two, and that's set at the Lawrence house. Act two has two scenes, including the duel and the second scene. Uh, the first scene is at the Lawrence house. And then act three has two scenes set in St. Petersburg. Okay? And remember, when Tchaikovsky wrote this opera, 1870, late 1870s, he was talking about a period that Pushkin had described. Pushkin was really describing the 1820s in Russia. And a lot of it came from Pushkin's own life. He was very much a bon vivant. He was a favorite at court. Uh, the Tsar liked him, and the Tsar liked his wife as well, which is what led to the problems and eventually to the duel that killed him. Um, so what he's talking about, he, he really saw a lot himself. Tchaikovsky has this kind of attitude of nostalgia towards this period of the 1820s, the golden age, it was called, right? Pushkin, the golden age, Zalatoy Vyek, of great literature, the post-Napoleonic era, when Russia was really at the top, right? Suddenly, Russia had um, burst upon the European scene and uh, the Congress of Vienna, 1814. So it was a period of great sort of upsurge in Russian national pride and, and growth of culture. And Tchaikovsky in the 1870s, already things are getting kind of complicated in Russia. You know, the serfs were freed, and it turned out to be a very complicated aftermath. Uh, there's, a, there's terrorism. There's uh, a lot of uh, warfare on the, on the fringes of the Russian Empire, <laughs> which is a, a very familiar theme in Russian history. Um, so he's kind of looking back on this period of the 1820s with a sort of uh, nostalgia. So that was just another point I wanted to make about this. Now, turning to Tatiana. Um, opera audiences are often surprised by the character of Tatiana Larina. After a steady diet of doomed and helpless heroines like Gilda in Rigoletto or Madame Butterfly, who seem all too eager to sacrifice themselves for callow, macho men, sensible and assertive Tanya come Tatiana, Tanya, comes as a bracing change, like lemon after too much chocolate. Tatiana isn't a castrating or vindictive strong female, like the sharp-tongued title character of Carmen or the hysterically jealous Amneris in Aida, which was actually one of uh, which, and of course, Tchaikovsky loved Verdi. She is sweet, intuitive, intelligent. 
instead of dying of a broken heart in the last scene of Eugene Onegin, an empowered Tatiana gently but firmly dismisses the cad who rejected her with such painful condescension in Act One. Many of my female friends have told me they want to stand up and cheer when listening to Tatiana tell a belatedly interested Onegin in one of the most poignant duets in all of opera to get lost, <laughs> basically. <laughs> no, no, former days cannot return. The happily married Tatiana sings with wisdom and resignation, deaf to Onegin's seductive pleas. I will remain steadfast. And worth pointing out, of course, her husband is much older and also a hero of Napoleonic Wars. And this is an important detail, right? Because uh, Onegin, he's just been off traveling around the world, doing nothing important. He's what in Russia we call a superfluous man. You know, he had money and property and title, but he never could find uh, uh, anything to do with himself. Whereas Tatiana's husband is actually somebody who helped the motherland defeat Napoleon, right? So for Tchaikovsky too, Tatiana, the immortal creation of Pushkin in his Byronic novel, Eugene Onegin, was a special spirit. Initially a provincial dreamer, hungry for the sentimental passions found in her favorite novels. And that's the opening scene, right? Tatiana's reading. She's engrossed in all these sentimental late 18th century novels that she's been reading. Tatiana matures from an awkward teenager, and also she's like 16, right? At the start of the opera into a sophisticated and self-confident woman, the worthy consort of Prince Bremen, a war hero decorated in the victory over Napoleon. Tchaikovsky describes Tatiana as, quote, a young and virginal being, untouched as yet by the realities of life, a creature of poor feminine beauty, a dreamy nature, ever seeking some vague ideal and striving passionately to grasp it and although the composer gave the opera the title of Eugene Onegin, it is the radiant and completely believable Tatiana who occupies the emotional, dramatic, and musical center. And in fact, it was Tatiana, the character of Tatiana, that uh, persuaded Tchaikovsky to go ahead and make an opera out of this uh, novel. Because when a friend suggested that he do this, uh, he dismissed the idea as, quote, wild, unquote. <laughs> Uh, how could he hope to set to music such a perfect synthesis of formal brilliance and ironic romanticism? How could he hope to capture the spontaneous, seemingly casual spirit of its 5,500 meticulously constructed rhyming lines, many of which had already become proverbs by the time Tchaikovsky was writing the opera? How could he convey what one critic called an encyclopedia of Russian life? But staying up all night to read the novel, Tchaikovsky began to change his, change his mind as he wrote to his brother, who was one of his most important collaborators. I'm thrilled with the subject. It teems with poetry. There's humanity, poetry, and simplicity, along with the brilliance of the text. And so he said that he'd fallen in love with the uh, character of Tatiana, and he was enraptured with Pushkin's verse. Um, and because he was aware that there was very little plot, Tchaikovsky called his opera lyrical scenes in three acts. Because really, what is the plot, right? Uh, Onegin comes to visit Tatiana and um, Olga with his friend Lenski. Tatiana falls madly in love with uh, Onegin, not so much because she likes him, but because she wants to fall in love with somebody. She even says that. It's time. I got to fall in love with somebody. <laughs> so, and she writes him this letter of uh, passionate uh, love that she stays up all night writing. He gets it, he comes back to see her and says, well, you know, you're really very nice, but I'm not interested, and you know, you really should be more careful in expressing your feelings, really puts her down, right? Uh, act two, uh, he's sort of, Onegin uh, and Lenski are still in the neighborhood. There's a ball, they come, they have a big argument, because Onegin is just not a very nice guy, you know? Uh, he he uh, wants to have fun with Lenski, and so he starts flirting with Lenski's girlfriend, Olga, to the extent that Lenski gets so upset with him that they end up having a duel. So they have a duel, Lenski is shot dead, Onegin goes off somewhere, and Act 3, uh, quite a lot of time has passed, right, between Act 2 and Act 3. Uh, I don't know how exactly how many years, maybe five, six. Onegin's been traveling around the world doing nothing, 
Tatiana's gotten married. They meet at this great ball in St. Petersburg. And he suddenly says, oh, wow, now I'm in love with her. <laughs> and he writes her a letter. They meet. She says, no, thanks. That's it. <laughs> right? So especially if you compare it to you know, conventional operatic plots of the 19th century, it's really very simple, but it's very psychological. You know? And that's what's so interesting about it that he goes so much deeper into the psychology of the characters. That's what he's really interested in. And just worth pointing out that 1,000 composers have used 500 different works by Pushkin to create more than 3,000 different compositions. <laughs> that might even rival Shakespeare. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, so uh, Tchaikovsky <coughs> continued to love this character of Tatiana as time went on. And uh, she becomes even more and more important to the opera. And also, it's worth remembering that Tatiana was kind of a cultural icon in Russia already. Uh, she is an aristocrat by birth, but she has a very simple name, Tatiana. It's one of the most Russian and typical of uh, women's names. Tanya, Ta Tatiana, Tanyusha. If you know Russian, there's endless possibilities for diminutives of proper names. Right? Um, and, uh, and she also, one important thing about Tatiana, she loves winter. <laughs> She's a good Russian girl. She likes Russian. Uh, she likes winter. She says, um, Tatiana herself not knowing why, in Russian winter is thrilled at seeing the cold perfection of the sky, and so on. So she's a very Russian character. Dostoevsky loved Tatiana. In fact, um, at the unveiling of a monument to Pushkin that is today an important spot in Moscow. In fact, a lot of political rallies happened there. Pushkin Square, just the other day, there was when all those people were out on the street in Moscow, that was one of the places where they were. Pushkin Square, Pushkin, right? Um, and Dostoevsky, at the unveiling of that monument, called Tatiana, quote, the apotheosis of the Russian woman, right? In contrast to the westernized, superfluous man, Onegin, Tatiana is, quote, firmly rooted in her native soul and senses what truth is and where it lies. Tolstoy also liked Tatiana and even used her as a model for his heroine, Natasha Rastova, in War and Peace. Some of you have read, I'm sure, and seen Prokofiev's uh, opera. Um, so, uh, and Prokofiev actually thought about calling his opera not War and Peace, but Natasha Rastova. <laughs> so he, he also got the Tatiana bug, you know. Um, so now how about the, the music? It's wonderfully varied and accomplished. There are set pieces like the pastoral duet at the opening. There's a, a lovely aria that's sung sometimes in French, sometimes in Russian by the tutor, Monsieur Triquet. Uh, on uh, Tatiana's name day. There's lots of folk choruses. There are grand ballroom scenes uh, in Act Two and in Act Three, conventional arias like Lenski's pre-dual lament. And then also the great letter scene in uh, Act One that Tatiana has, which is really not an aria, but an arioso that goes on for seven or eight minutes. And um, it's this wonderful characterization of, of Tatiana's feelings for um, Onegin. So it's the psychological penetration, really, that's so uh, special about this. Now, I wanted to start um, to show you one of the things he does musically that's uh, so uh, beautiful that unifies the piece. The letter scene, uh, this is in some ways the heart of the uh, opera musically. We hear fragments from the letter scene in the overture, and we hear it throughout the opera used as uh, motifs uh, uh, transformed in various ways. But the, the way in which it's most interesting what he does with this is he uses a mirror image of uh, Tatiana and Onegin. I mentioned there are two letter scenes, right? There's Tatiana's letter, and then at the very end, Onegin's letter. Well, what Tchaikovsky does is he uses basically the same music and even similar words to link them. So first, let's see the letter scene where Tatiana stays up all night writing this very naive letter confessing her love for um, Onegin, and then she has one of the peasant boys go off and deliver it the next morning.
that rising motif that you hear in the woodwinds that keeps coming back. of this which happens at the end. Let me just read to you what Onegin writes to Tatiana. This is in English translation. I know it all. My secret ache will anger you in its confession. And confession, this is really important in this opera and actually I would say in Russian literature and opera generally speaking. These great scenes of confession. You know, think of Boris Godunov, of course. So many scenes of confession and in Tolstoy and in Dostoevsky. Confession was a really important part of uh, the Russian literary and spiritual tradition. So I think uh, this is also going on here. But so he writes to her, I know it all, my secret ache will anger you in its confession. What scorn I see in the expression that your proud glance is sure to take. What do I want? What am I after? Stripping my soul before your eyes. I know to what malicious laughter my declaration may give rise. Uh, so he writes this long letter to her, you know, uh, at the very end, after they've encountered each other at the ball. And, you know, when they are introduced uh, by her husband, uh, he's stunned that this is still, that this is Tatiana. She's beautifully dressed. She's grown up. She's sophisticated. She's a grand, grand lady of St. Petersburg. And so, you know, why does Onegin like her now? Well, <laughs> uh, for one thing, she's unattainable, you know. Uh, he wants to see if he can get her. Uh, and this is sort of Onegin's pattern, right? Uh, and she's, um, you know, a, a quite a different catch than this little provincial girl uh, who he met uh, five, six years before when she was 16 or 17 years old uh, in some provincial uh, hole. <laughs> because he's, he's quite negative about living in the provinces, right, Onegin? He wants to be in the cities and where things are happening. So this is the scene that comes at the end where um, Onegin is confessing his love for Tatiana, and you'll notice that the same musical motifs are repeated and the same, uh, even the same words slightly altered. So this is wonderful arc from beginning to end where they change roles. Oh, 
So that's the end of the first scene of, of Act Three, right? And a lot of, uh, and in both in Act Two and in Act Three, uh, there are these dance uh, 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 numbers that are going on around the action. It's it's very uh, nicely done. Actually, Prokofiev uh, studied how Tchaikovsky did this in Eugene Onegin when he came to write War and Peace, where you have very similar scenes of dancing, like when Natasha meets. Uh, uh, her, her um, Andre at their first ball. So incorporating, it's not that they're separate dances, but the dances are part of the action. And it, of course, it's during the ball scene in Act Two that Lenski and uh, Onegin actually quarrel. So uh, it's very nicely integrated. Now, of course, um, Tchaikovsky studied very closely French opera, German opera. He went to the premiere of Wagner's Ring Cycle, you know. Uh, and wrote about it. Uh, so Tchaikovsky, you know, was a very sophisticated uh, connoisseur of, of European opera. And he brought a, a lot of this into uh, Eugene Onegin, which, after all, was, uh, he wasn't that young. He'd already written a lot of music by the time he came to Onegin. Um, so this is uh, the arc that I wanted to point out to you. Okay, now, I want to go on to um, talk about some of the other important moments in the opera and sort of musically what they represent. Now, as I said, there's a lot of choral music in this opera. Uh, we see peasants in Act One, and we see sort of the other uh, provincial folk who are the friends of, La of the Ladins, Tatiana's uh, parents, in Act Two. And then we see High Society St. Petersburg in Act Three. Um, it's interesting what, the, what is the representation of the peasants in Eugene Onegin. Now, I'm sure many of you have seen Boris Godunov, right? M Mussorgsky. Now, it couldn't have been farther, right? <laughs> Tchaikovsky's and Mussorgsky's understanding of the Narod, you know, the Russian people, uh, was totally different. And it's no accident, actually, that Mussorgsky and Tchaikovsky hated each other, <laughs> right? Uh, they, they were the, 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 they were sort of the, you know, John Crawford and Betty Davis. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there wasn't room for both of them. Now, Mussorgsky, of course, had a very different kind of uh, uh, education. He didn't really have a serious education as a musician. He studied music, uh, uh, piano, and he was a very gifted musician, but he never had a systematic conservatory education. Tchaikovsky did. In fact, he was one of the first Russian composers who did have a systematic conservatory education. He was one of the first graduates of the new St. Petersburg Conservatory which was opened in the 1860s. So um, he had that advantage over Mussorgsky. Also, he had this rather idealized vision of the peasantry, Tchaikovsky, I think you could say, definitely. He came from a very different class than Mussorgsky did. Uh, Tchaikovsky tended to identify much more strongly with the aristocracy than Mussorgsky did. Uh, Tchaikovsky came from an upper class family. He had the advantage of very elite uh, education. 
and he was sort of in the in crowd, you could say. His, his, the Tsar supported Tchaikovsky. Uh, that was not the case with Mussorgsky. And of course, Mussorgsky was unfortunately uh, an alcoholic, uh, a very had a very difficult life and and and, and lived uh, not very long and didn't actually manage to finish a lot of things that he started, including Khlobanchina, his other opera. So it's just interesting to compare the peasants in in Eugene Onegin. Uh, they they come in at the beginning and they're they're very happy with their mass their mistress Larina and they. They're all, you know, um, they seem to feel, feel uh, not oppressed <laughs> in the slightest. Uh, and they have this chorus they sing, Valyat mai norshinki, my little feet are aching. But the way it's sung, it's like it's not, uh, you know, that they've been really toiling hard and sweating to say, oh, this is kind of fun. <laughs> so there is this very idealized vision, I think you could say, of, of what life was really like for the Russian peasantry in in Eugene Onegin, and that's actually true in Tchaikovsky's other operas. So here, actually, at the very opening of the opera, in fact, is hearing off stage a duet of uh, Olga and Tatiana, and then after that, um, a, a chorus uh, of the peasants who are coming in from the from the fields. We start. It's called uh, the opening duet between Olga and Tatiana, which is usually heard off stage, is Slikhali Levoy. Have you heard? And once again, it's all about nostalgia, sort of the nostalgia for the past and this golden era that somehow is gone. So let's, let's hear that. Now, if we could go on to the next uh, band, which is the peasant chorus, Balyat Mai Skorin Nozhenki. And the, the language is kind of um, uh, this peasant, poetic po peasant language. You know, in Mussorgsky, in Baris uh, Gadunov, for example, you know, the language of the peasants is much more rough, you know. And you remember the scene in the inn, you know, where they're all just drunk and fallen under the table, and they're oppressed, and they hate their masters, and... <laughs> They want to run away. Uh, there's none of that here. <laughs> and remember, as uh, one of Tchaikovsky's most important patrons was the Tsar. Uh, so even though this is post-emancipation, 1870s, you know the the peasants uh, were still obviously in dire straits. But in this literary sort of world, uh, musical world, uh, they're painted in a very sentimentalized way. So here they are. My little feet. My little feet are sore. And this is very typical of Russian uh, folk music where you have a solo followed by an uh, answer sort of response.
And you know, one of the things that Tchaikovsky was criticized for, especially by Mussorgsky, and remember, Tchaikovsky was not a member of that group of nationalist composers uh, in Petersburg who were called, you know, the Five or the Mighty Handful, the Magucha Kuchka. Tchaikovsky was not part of that group. And they considered him too Western, too European. And they felt uh, in uh, instances like this that he harmonized, he used Western style harmonies that were not really native to Russian folk music. And particularly the meter and rhythm is very different in, uh, in traditional Russian folk music. You tend not to have very strong bar lines in, in Russian uh, vocal folk music. Um, uh, Tchaikovsky puts in, the, puts in those bar lines, you know? And so to people like Borodin, Rimsky-Korsakov, Mussorgsky, Tchaikovsky represented a westernization of, of the Russian vocal tradition that they did not totally think was a good thing. But maybe it's also one of the reasons why Tchaikovsky's operas are, of all Russian operas, the ones that have been uh, most palatable to European and American audiences. Because, um, you know, Mussorgsky, some, uh, for some people, Boris is, too, is difficult, you know, the, the musical idiom. Uh, although it's much more true to uh, Russian music in situ, I think you could say. You know, if you were thinking about ethnography, ethnomusicology, Mussorgsky was much closer to the source than, than, than Tchaikovsky was. All right. Now, um, I wanted to show you, uh, this is Lotte Lehmann, the uh, Great Voices Sing Tchaikovsky CD. And I wanted to give you an example of how many different singers have taken these roles, you know. Uh, here's uh, Lotte Lehmann uh, singing, uh, doing the letter scene um, in German. So the same scene that I, you saw at the beginning of earlier. Thanks. And notice how, you know, in this aria, and this is actually, you hear this in the overture, you know, it's almost the first bars we hear, this descending scale and then the ascending scale. Uh, that's what we keep hearing over again. Da, 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 da. And throughout the opera, listen for that. You'll hear it all over the place. And sometimes it means uh, somebody's thinking about Tatiana or whatever. You know, it's a very sophisticated use of motifs. Um, not exactly Wagnerian, but uh, certainly using motifs for psychological portraiture uh, is what Tchaikovsky's doing here. And in that regard, he went way beyond what anybody had done in Russian opera before this. I mean, if you think about what Russian operas had been written before Eugene Onegin, you had Glinka, A Life for the Tsar, and Ruslan and Ludmila. Uh, you know, nothing, uh, Rimsky's operas mostly come much later. Uh, Boris Godunov was actually written right around this same time. But Tchaikovsky, you know, he was really the person who put Russian opera on the map. And he was, of course, so well known abroad. Uh, you know, no doubt, that Tchaikovsky conducted the first concert at Carnegie Hall, right, in, in 1891. He was an internationally uh, uh, recognized uh, composer, e even in the 1870s and the 1880s. The first, Russia's first, really, who was. 
um, the first to be invited uh, abroad and who had an impact on European music instead of just the other way around. Of course, he, he died very young. You probably know, I mean, quite young. He, was, he died of cholera, right, in 1893. Uh, and that was, um, you know, there was all kinds of rumors about whether he actually committed suicide, although people don't, most researchers don't believe that the, he did commit suicide, that he did not intentionally drink infected water. That was one of the stories put out about Tchaikovsky. But he didn't have a very long life either. He, he wrote quite prolifically during his 30s and, and 40s. Okay, now I want to show you, I uh, want to play for you another lovely little set piece. This is the Triquet's aria, Philips CD, CD2, band 3, okay? Now you probably, you might have heard this, Monsieur Triquet makes this cameo appearance during the party scene in Act 2, Scene 1, because the, uh, the occasion for the party is Tatiana's name day. That was a very important thing in Russia. It actually, it still is. Uh, it's almost more important than your birthday. It's the day on which your saint's, uh, uh, saint is celebrated. And so this is her, her name name, Imininli, it's called in Russian. And Monsieur Triquet, who is her French tutor, uh, has written this special poem for her uh, on this occasion that he sings for her. Now, it's sometimes sung in Russian and sometimes sung in French. Actually, there are two different versions. And um, uh, uh, Pushk uh, Pushkin is very careful to point out that it was in French. <laughs> but actually, the version I have here is in Russian from the Philips CD. But you, you do hear it sometimes in French or in Russian. Of course, you know that the Russian aristocracy, uh, uh, not so much by the end of the 19th century, but they were still very oriented towards France, not so much as during the period of Catherine the Great. But mostly young ladies would have French tutors, maybe German tutors as well. Often there would be these French tutors who would live in a household for their entire life, <laughs> live and die uh, in the provinces instructing the children of the aristocracy. So Monsieur Truquet is, is one of these people. And he sings this lovely little uh, set piece aria that's kind of 18th century in its style. Okay, thank you. And you know, Tchaikovsky's favorite composer was Mozart. <laughs> you know, he, he worshipped Mozart, and of course he wrote Mozartiana, he wrote a lot of sort of tributes to Mozart, and he loved to insert sort of 18th century pastiches in various places. And of course some of his uh, uh, suites are also very inspired by 18th century music. So, Okay, now I also uh, have to play for you <laughs> uh, Lenzi's aria, Before the Duel. Now, this is where Lenski's waiting for Onegin to show up for his duel. Of course, Onegin is late. <laughs> uh, he does show up, but he's late. Uh, and uh, Lenski, who is a poet, and this is very important, right? He's like 17, 18-year-old, extremely romantic. He's been to Germany, right? He sort of thinks of himself as, as Goethe or, or Schiller. Uh, and um, he's very romantic, and all of his feelings are way over the top, right? And so he, he pours out his feelings in this aria that he sings be, before the duel. Kuda, kuda, kuda viudalidis. Where have you gone, my dreams of youth? <laughs> right? uh, so once again, it's all about kind of a, uh, uh, nostalgia and lost illusions, lost illusions. 
It's one of the most beautiful tenor arias in the Russian repertoire and really in the operatic repertoire altogether. And it's one of the pieces from this opera that you most often hear as a recital piece for, for tenors. And what I have here is Fritz Wunderlich in German. Wohin, wohin bist du? <laughs> in the Russian are exactly from Pushkin. Um, so this is, um, if there's one uh, piece from this opera that uh, is the best known, it's probably, it's probably that one. Now, let me finish uh, with uh, something that Tchaikovsky added that was not in Pushkin, and uh, solely, uh, purely for vocal reasons. You couldn't have a, a self-respecting Russian opera without an aria for a bass, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, Russian basses are, you know, the soul of, of Russian singing, really. And so he adds a, uh, uh, a scene uh, where Gremin, uh, the husband of Tatiana, sings uh, his aria about uh, uh, how everybody can be in love no matter how old they are, is really the, the point of it. Uh, all ages can be susceptible to love. And so he sings this to Onegin just after he's introduced Onegin to uh, uh, Tatiana and he's starting to realize who she is. Uh, so he has this, this beautiful bass aria. He just sort of shows up there, act three, and disappears, kind of like Monsieur Triquet. So it's a, 
a very nice little set piece, but quite famous, and it was also sung by many famous singers. Shadapin used to sing this and, and many other great basses. So let me finish, you know, with uh, the last stanzas of Pushkin's Eugenia Negin. And as I said, you know, he's always uh, intruding and laughing at his characters, and he, he doesn't take them entirely seriously. He says, look, this is just a story. Don't forget, this is just a story. <laughs> the, these are not real people, and uh, we should laugh at them. <laughs> so I'll just read these are six lines. I'll read them first in Russian and then in English, okay? Blazhen, kto praznik zhizny rana astavil. Ni da pif da dna, bakala polnava vina, to ni da cholje romana i v drugu mjela rastace s njim, kak ja sa njeginim majim. Blessed he who has left the hurly-burly of life's repast be times, nor sought to drain its beaker down, nor thought of finishing its book, but early has wished it an abrupt goodbye, and with my Eugene, so have I. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. That was Northeastern University professor Harlow Robinson talking about Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin, which will be broadcast live in HD on April 22nd. Anna Netrebko stars as Tatiana, with Peter Matei as Onegin and Robin Ticciati conducting. For more information, visit metopera.org slash hdlive. We'll be back next week with an exploration of Wagner's Der Fliegende Holländer. Until then, I'm Naomi Baratera, and thanks for listening. <laughs>